Welcome to welcome to this lesson on the future future in the past. This is Lane Santa Cruz, your Ward 1 Council member with your co-host, Liz Soltero, and you are listening to No Tucson. We started the podcast in response to our daily fight against COVID-19 and as another means to communicate and share information about what's happening. Liz, what do we have this week? Our communities locally, nationally, all over the world are mourning the ongoing violence against black lives. Um, we began to speak about George Floyd, Dion Johnson, Brianna Taylor, and we continue to see and hear as our community mourns and calling for accountability and, and calling to have their voices amplified and be heard. And so we asked our colleagues, Jasmine Rucker and Andres Portela, to sit with us and talk about what they're experiencing, what they're feeling. Let's listen to their conversation. So last Friday, Tucson um, saw its first demonstration uh, against police brutality and the death of George Floyd. In Phoenix, we had the protests such demonstration for George Floyd and Dion Johnson. With all of this, we've heard loud voices call for police reforms. We've seen communities saying that they're hurting. Black Americans are force-fed a Rodney King-style beating, murder, and acquittal on a 24-hour news cycle. There has to be that shift from us having to experience the trauma over and over and over. And hopefully this conversation, Jasmine Rucker and myself, Andres Portella, have that gets us to understanding when does black trauma transition from being something that we have to re-experience over and over and over. Uh, when does that turn into community-led action and community-driven response? But also talk about the narratives that seem to dominate the news cycle, but also dominate the conversation when they are actually secondary effects of, of, of issues all rooted in brutality. What are your thoughts, Jasmine? First, you know, I just, I want to check in with you and ask you, how's your heart today? Because this is, this is a tough conversation to have, especially given that we're having it on a 24-hour basis, right? It's the text messages pouring in, it's the, it's the phone calls, it's the reliving trauma on social media, it all compounds. It's definitely not something we can walk away from. So I think it's important as Black folks that we check in on each other in a way that is real and genuine and cares for our own mental health and, and well-being. So I'm happy to be having this conversation with you, but I also know that I'm feeling fragile. And if you're feeling that way too, we can always kind of take a breather and, and create moments for joy too. Mm. I feel that a lot. Uh, I think what ultimately gets overshadowed by 
all of the what's happening is like we always start talking about well like what's the what's the next move Mm -hmm. uh we don't have a, a chance to feel and every moment that i've had these last few days is all been rooted in the moment but like as you're talking about times sitting and sitting in it and feeling it and checking in with each other when all of this starts going down i i I, my mom always contacts me and she's like hey did you hear mm-hmm. hey did you see or she'll shoot me a link and I never have time because I always the first the first emotion is the one that usually gets me I get angry but it's like this isn't new I yeah. I remember the talk the talk that my parents have and uh, and just to provide context every black kid in America has had the talk in some sort of way mm-hmm. and this talk is when the cops pull you over, show your hands, talk to them, respectable, like for lack of a better way of saying it, we are the most well-trained people to interact with the cops. And when I think back to those times, it's just like, I was gutted when I first heard that. And every time I experience something like this, I have to be gutted again. So how are you feeling, Jasmine? Besides being emotionally vulnerable, where's your head at? Very vulnerable, weary, but also, I mean, my heart is weary, but it's also warm. Um, I am seeing communities step up in profound ways, and I am seeing folks invest in the infrastructure that's already there, you know, the organizations that have been promoting Black liberation this whole time. I'm seeing that get lifted up, and that makes my heart feel a little bit warmer, but yeah, I mean, weary. I'm there with you. Um, one thing that has been uh, kind of <laughs> extremely frustrating, angering, is some of these counterproductive narratives that I think are dominating a lot of the conversation, whether it's statements from public officials or the dialogue that we're having online. I do think that there are some things coming out of that are fantastic and then there's other things that are coming out of that that are really problematic i think the most problematic narrative i've heard is that if you don't like this vote mm-hmm. or let's just vote donald trump out of office i have been black for 26 years of my life i've seen a black president i've, I've been around for the bush administration Things are no different. It's just now we have a camera. Like mm-hmm. everyone has a camera. And as I stated before, we are subject to these Rodney King style beatings. And the only difference between now and then was Rodney King was one of the situations where we had, someone had a camera. Now we all carry a thousand dollar computer in our pocket and we have access to record thousands of those. And there was a collective trauma that, that is associated with that. It's important that people reject this notion of, well, if we vote Trump out, this stops because there's there's no way that this this stops just by voting one person out. I mean, Trayvon Martin, that was during the Obama administration. Like, I mean, I look forward to the day that Trump's out of office. That'll be a really joyous day. And I want him to be voted out of office. But you're right, um, it's not a single administration issue. And it's mayors and county executives that hire police chiefs. It's district attorneys and state attorneys that decide whether or not they're going to bring forth 
charges against violent police officers. There's so much potential for reform at the local level that I feel like that deserves the same type of energy that we're fueling at Trump. Because one day Trump will be out of office. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those other problematic structures will still be there. I agree with everything you just said. Um, I think what happens is, is we try to whitewash or try to tone down the level of outrage or protest that we want to see. But like two weeks ago, there were people were protesting with guns in the middle of towns just because they had to stay at home. Oh, yeah. So my father, a 74-year-old Black man who's quite uh, contentious at times, is um, also an avid gun owner and um, believes very strongly in Second Amendment rights. Um, But yeah, I mean, we had this exact conversation, you know, what would happen if a, a group of Black men open carried as part of the demonstration? I think we all know that that would just never be allowed. It would be the National Guard potentially hurting or killing many people. That double standard certainly exists. I I would be hard pressed to find someone who really honestly does not see that that would would be different. Yeah, my dad is a retired military. He owns his weapons and is asked me or questioned me the exact same and What's funny is two weeks ago, I was meeting with a young organizer who left Phoenix and moved back to Atlanta to create a political organizing group that focuses on gun advocacy for African-Americans. And and he said that is something he could not do in in Arizona. He tried that in Phoenix. He tried that in Tucson. And it just, he said he felt unsafe. And myself, I owned a weapon. I thought it was my right. I felt like I was entitled to it as a citizen. But I think the reality of it was, it's when I had that weapon in my vehicle and I got pulled over, I had a reaction that wasn't conducive to de-escalation. So I ultimately got rid of all the weapons I owned because I just didn't feel safe. So you have this camp where they're like, well, we need our guns to be safe. And then you have this camp that says, even with a gun, I can't be safe. I mean, you have Philando Castile, who had a license to carry, and he informed the officer and couldn't still have his weapon. So that's something that presses on me. And then just to change sub- subjects a little bit, is, is talking about this narrative of voting versus protest as a driver of change. I, I'm a little bit indifferent about this because I feel like they can't exist without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe personally that protest is ultimately one of the best drivers of change. And it is a tool just like voting. So I just want to know your thoughts about that. Yeah, um, it's not an either or. It's a both and. And I say that also recognizing that, okay, I want to promote everyone and their right to vote and I want you to get out and vote. I want you to participate in the census. I want you to be engaged in these traditional channels. But I understand there's a a myriad of reasons that people are disenfranchised and, and turned off and turned away by doing so. I think that 
we, we highlight a problem and we mobilize people through civil disobedience. It's critically important um, that we do that because that is a way for people to collectively grieve, collectively process, mobilize, meet each other, feel themselves in, in this political moment. And then beyond that, in, in our role, you know, because we're the insider outsiders, we need to design policy and, and law that addresses the issues that are being, being raised by folks who are participating in, in civil disobedience. And we need to bring them along. So I agree. I mean, it's both. It's both and, both and other. I just, I don't want to be the person out here who's telling Black people how to speak, how to behave, how to defend their rights, and, and how to get their voices heard. I struggle. I've, that's one thing that I've struggled with, with coming into this job as someone who has actively protested against the system and as someone who is now working for the city, it's, it's been a drastic change going from outside in to inside out because we'll make reasonable changes as we possibly can over a, an X amount of time. But I struggle with the fact of like, the only way that things are going to get better is if from a, from a city side, we need more of our leaders to a lot of these spaces that they, they may not feel comfortable in. We need more of that because, I mean, that's not something I saw. Growing up, that is not, I never saw local officials protesting next to me. They would make a change and we would have to live with it. But like the only way to be heard was to go and yell at them. There was never, there was never that opportunity because once we elected them, they would just go do their thing. And that's something that I'm, I, I have, I'm constantly struggling with in my position of how do we, how do I toe that line of like both being down for the cause and also not upsetting the people that I have to work with on a daily. Well, I think you're navigating it really well, to be honest. Um, I, it comes with this idea that we just need to bring people along and we need to have more seats at the table and maybe more table room. Um, and I think, you know, we've been doing planning and strategizing around how to have a longer, more sustained, more impactful community conversation um, and bring people in to inform the work that we do. So we're not trying to reinvent the wheel and we're not trying to um, come up with solutions from our own perspective. That's something that folks will learn more about over the coming weeks, but that work is being done and it's gonna be really critical. So I wanna, I wanna talk about one other narrative that I keep hearing, and it's this narrative of MLK and peaceful protests. If we want to see change, we have to we have to be like MLK, and we have to just take the crap uh, that is given to us, but also peacefully protest and and be Nobel Peace Prize winners. And like we, we like there, there's a level of professionalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even want to yeah. touch profession, quote unquote, professionalism, which is really, which is basically assimilation 
why don't you sound white or why don't you strip yourself from your cultural nuances? But as we protest, that is what we hear. We hear, well, MLK did it peacefully and respectfully and it just sits, it sits wrong with me. This whitewashed version of MLK is weaponized against Black folks time and time again. It is so problematic, so problematic. And before this conversation, I know we were just, you know, sitting around chatting and like, it was like, (laughs) he was very engaged in nonviolence and, you know, he was still murdered. Folks who have have taken a knee and been very engaged in nonviolence have still been vilified from the the public square. We know that this is just a misdirect, right? And here's the thing, like human rights are not contingent on speaking a certain way or knowing how to navigate that social respectability that we were talking about. They're not contingent on those things in any way. We have a right to life. And I think that's what makes statements like Black Lives Matter stick and resonate because it's exactly that. It's a full stop. We have a right to life. We have a right to not be targeted by police, by racist vigilantes, and be completely ignored by the justice system when those situations snuff out our lives. And I don't want to cut you off here, but no, go for it. I think I think we need to take one step back because here's the here's here's the trauma I see play out all the time. Mm-hmm. I see African American does something, they get pulled over. It doesn't have to be they actually did something, but something something happens, they get pulled over or they get talked to by the police. We don't even get to see a judge or jury. It's execution style. It's, well, they had a history of, a, of that's, a, that's just a tired narrative because ultimately as a black man, if I commit a crime, I want to be able to just see a judge. I want to be able to go through the jury process. I want to be afforded my rights. But unfortunately, most times we're not afforded that opportunity. If we take Philando Castillo, we take even this George Floyd situation, he should have been arrested and, and at least been able to go through the process. But it's, it's taken. That whole process is taken from us. So when I hear Black Lives Matter, that has been the most important thing to me because I've heard everyone say that my life is important and matters and at least deserves the process. It deserves a thought. It sits so poorly with me when when someone's like, "Well, he shouldn't resist it." Well, if he resists, then you you could charge him with resisting arrest. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I it's a nightmare. We're not even afforded the process. We're not even worthy of the process. And then it's it's so it's sickening and and problematic to see that there's this false dichotomy being drawn between these larger calls for justice and private property rights or how we how we behave as we're screaming out for our lives and the lives of our loved ones it it's baffling to me that people are not realizing you know we matter we have a right to life 
And it's not if, if no windows get broken. And it's not if the process is done in a way that everyone is on board. No, <laughs> I'm really sorry, but I'm sick and tired of seeing those statements, particularly from our local leaders, which I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name anybody, but. Name drop. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want to give them more airtime, to be honest, but if you put out a statement that tells me that you think Black Lives Matter and that you're seeing that we're all in tragedy, but that takes up two or three sentences and the rest is about broken windows, I am done. Yeah. I'm done indulging it because it's just one more way of muting people who are calling for justice and black liberation. Ooh, I got this pitted feeling in my stomach just now when the last part of what you said, and I don't have, I don't have the words to articulate it, what, what I'm feeling, but oh, goodness. I feel it, yeah. So like from here, we're gonna hear calls for action and movement from local officials. But we hear this all the time. And again, I'm, af I'm afforded the opportunity to work, work in a space where I feel like I'm genuinely heard. But there, I, I am an exception. Even when we talk about COVID-19 and who's being disproportionately affected, we have to look at the numbers and African-Americans and people of color are disproportionately being affected. And so we have to look at our decision makers and the decision maker staff and the decision makers who's in their ear. And in our office, our office, I, I was told this this morning from someone from another department, our office is the exception. So when we look at the next steps and we look at what tomorrow is going to look like, I am going to settle for nothing less than community organizers leading the conversation for black folk being at the forefront of this conversation because what always happens is we have this lather rinse repeat situation so we get lathered in calls for police accountability and for cities to make changes and defund and all of this and we rinse by saying okay those calls are going to happen and we just repeat it when the next one happens i feel like here in the city of tucson we need to do the granular work the work that really comes along with like co-governance like understanding the issue is more than just reading a, a, a wall street journal or a, a new york times article we really need to hear the voice of those who are directly impacted usually the ones who are forgotten right yeah to, to create a space that affirms all black lives you know it's Black cis folks, men, women, trans folks, queer folks, um, disabled individuals, um, folks in deep poverty. Um, yeah, I, I really want us to be intentional in designing a space that um, not only lets folks be heard, but gives them resources and opportunities to do the work that they want to lead. Um, I think our, our office has been very intentional about talking about this. And I mean, 
in the long haul, it's it's the right move. Though, of course, right now we're getting um, a lot of messages like, you know, asking for the performative pieces. You know, where's your black square on Instagram? That kind of stuff. Um, but I do want people to know that we're being very intentional about not paying lip, lip service and, um, and working on this. And we want to work on it with community. I, that you brought up the black square on Instagram. <laughs> and that, that made me want to cuss when everyone was doing it. I mean, I could see the point and I could see what the, what, a, what the objective was. But like, I'm, I'm tired of performance art. I'm over it. I can't handle it anymore. Uh, so I just, I tuned, I tuned out of social media period. And I started to have conversations with my friends like, well, what are your dreams? And I asked my brother's kids, like, what do you dream about doing? And my nephew was like, I want to be a paleontologist. Dude, you are six years old. I didn't know what a paleontologist <laughs> is, but he was just like, with such conviction, he was like, I want to be a paleontologist. And I was just like, well, how do I get you there? Yeah. He's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But like, I want to dare to dream. And I think, how do we bring along white folks to create the environment for everyone to thrive? Right. Oh, gosh. It, it brings me to something that I keep saying and it keeps irking people, but I'm going to just keep saying it. <laughs> um, one of my close friends, Lisa Bates, she is a genius and has been working on these issues um, for a long time. And she put out sort of a, a little aggravated PSA on Facebook <laughs> and I mirrored it and now I'm seeing a lot of other people mirror it. I, I really want us as a community to move past a point where mostly well-meaning white folks, allies and, and other POC who are allies, stop setting their action items as basically can I text every black person I have in my phone and check in on them and say, hi, how are you doing today? Or hi, uh, how does it feel that this happened? Are you upset? That should not be your homework assignment for the day. I'm sorry, but um, I, every time you have that urge, I want you to reach out to somebody else on your phone, your white friends, your white family members. And I need you to ask them, hi, how are you doing today? How does it feel to know that people who look like us keep coming out here and killing black people? How does it feel to know that we are complicit in a system of white supremacy? And what are we gonna do about it? I'm sorry, but allies, give yourself a harder assignment, one that actually leads to action. I've just got so many of those texts on my phone that are just, it's not even worth responding at this point. Um, and I know I have friends and I appreciate that, but 
if you reach out to me with that, what do, what do you expect me to say? I'm doing bad, but I'm doing work. And I hope that you're doing work too. Yeah. That only causes more trauma. And I too have, I've been laying low and I keep telling people, I'm just laying low for a minute and I'll get right back, but I'm laying low for a minute. And, and, and Tucson is paved with the best intention of allies who quote unquote always want to do right by African-Americans or community members, but like showing up to protests and texting your black friends when this stuff goes down, great intentions, but we're over it. We need privilege. We need your privilege. Use your privilege to advocate for change in policy, advocate for investment in black and brown communities. I'm so over the text message. I honestly, if I showed you guys my phone right now, I there's no shortage, probably about 30 text message of my white friends from college saying, hey man, how you holding up? What's on your mind? How's your how's your soul feeling? It's just like it's heavy. I don't, <laughs> there's no other, like, there's no there other way to no put it. Like, yeah. I have to watch trauma porn on TV once mm-hmm. a week of, of a Dion Johnson, George Floyd. I have to watch me being killed on TV once a week. And I also want to highlight that, like, Latinos across the United States are also being gunned down as a part of police violence, and they often get no airtime. Uh, like a year or so ago, the LA Times put out an article that like talks about police brutality victims and the amount of airtime that they get. And they were talking about how Latinos and Hispanic airtime is significantly less than Black airtime. And, and, and I just want to elevate that. I just want to say that I see you, I hear you, and I am an ally. I will be here fighting for change for both of us. Because ultimately, this is a system that needs change. We frequently forget that we've been working in a system that is was created for white men, by white men. Mm-hmm. So understanding that, we have to understand that like every, this, this system wasn't created for all of us. And so I hear you, I see you. Those who have been affected by police brutality, I hear you and I see you. I think when we center the most vulnerable that's how we make huge huge structural changes all right jasmine i don't want to yeah i don't want to linger too much i was about to be like yo i don't want to linger on that too much uh (laughs) man okay yeah i'm not gonna (laughs) i'm not gonna go any deeper than that because i don't want to give too much bad energy i think we deserve better than that in our day i think the last few days we've had a lot of bad energy around us when it comes to like advocating and protesting. It's a full-time job. Being black has become a full-time job all in itself. But I want to advocate for us to look out for our black trans community. I want to advocate for black women. As a black male, I exude uh, very little privilege, but whatever privilege I have, I, I want to use my privilege to advocate for our Black trans community. Yeah, I already feel like I've said my piece. <laughs> I don't have a strong close. I don't, I mean, it's just, it's a conversation that we're going to continue. Um, and I appreciate the fact that we're 
working in a space that allows that to happen in a real way where we can show up and we can have our own politics and our own backgrounds and figure out a way to strategize together. That's really powerful. And that's, that's what I want to see happening throughout government. So um, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to have this conversation today and yeah, just thank you. Thank you for all your thoughts. Thank you for your thoughts. Um, what I reflected on as I listened to, to Jasmine and Andres is um, this ongoing like public display of trauma that happens every time that an act of violence is perpetrated against Black lives. It's important to note that a lot of times as elected officials, we're expected to put out official statements about what's going on. And sometimes the way that plays out locally, it's like, who's going to say the most woke thing, you know, as an elected official? And that in this moment, uh, you know, I have received criticisms for kind of staying quiet because it's, in, it's important. I feel like during this time, it's important that this isn't a moment where we pay lip service to what's happening um, in our community and across the country, that this is a moment where we make, you know, we step aside and allow um, Black voices to be at the center about this conversation. And that a lot of this work, a lot of the work that needs to happen, a lot of the calls that they're making for justice is, is healing work and healing uh, work that is connected to justice is going to be the only thing to, to move us forward. Thanks for listening to No Tucson. We are committed to ongoing dialogue, especially the centering of Black voices at the heart of these discussions to inform the policy change. Visit our social media, keep listening on our website, or subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and in the know. Bye. Bye. Thank you.